Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 33 of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, if you remember us. It's been a while. Allison and Tess. Yep. Good to be here. Good to be talking once again. I'm Jen and Millie. It is. It feels like it hasn't been that long, but at the same time, it has been a while. I mean, we had to prove it to ourselves um, to look back at, um, I looked at Insta, and you yeah. looked at, did you look at Podbean? Um, to see when the last time we actually spoke was because, and I, I think this is important to know, we are who we say we are, and we were con- we are constantly having conversations about the strength-based perspective mm-hmm. and about the ways that we view the world a little bit differently. Um, Tess and I just returned from D.C., where we had um, the opportunity and the honor and privilege of presenting about Jen and Millie yeah. um, at the National Mentoring Summit. This is my third time presenting, but I will say my favorite time presenting. And I think we, you said something around my birthday. Uh, you are, you are my stats to my story. Mm-hmm. And when we present together, you can definitely see where we are a complimentary partnership. Yeah. And I mean, I hate to be all boasty braggy, um, but I will be. Our audience was engaged. Oh, so awesome. I think we hit the jackpot. It. I think we hit the jackpot of participants. Kind of like we laughed about the strength-based perspective and even the generational perspective in which we chose our breakouts. Yeah. I wonder if those who chose our breakouts were more likely to be those kinds of spirits, those kinds of souls who say, mm-hmm. I want to have fun in a training. Yeah. And um, we provided that. I think we provided yeah. that fun learning experience. It was really fun. And we met some really cool people. Awesome people. Um, I want to give a shout out to my new um, fairy god mentor. That is a phrase <laughs> that I learned from her. Um, Joni, who came up to us after the training and literally is a blend, truly, of you and me. Um, <laughs> she, purple hair. Yes, and I love her pink purple hair. I, what I loved that Joni, when Joni was sharing with me about who she is, I was immediately thinking, Tess needs to hear this. This, um, Her intellect, her um, historical awareness. And it was so funny because when you brought me into the conversation, I was like, is she bringing me into this conversation because this is going to be her in a few, a few decades, right? Like, <laughs> no, it was just absolutely such a great reminder of, and I, I wrote uh, Joni an email back. She mm-hmm. reached out to us. It was such a reminder to me of the good in the world. And it was a really good, it was really good timing, Joni, for you to remind me of that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think we felt that at National Mentoring Summit. You're surrounded by people who are showing up to make a difference mm-hmm. and working in all kinds of different um, communities, all kinds of different um, spaces and containers and places. But they're all trying to make sure the kids have at least one more champion at least one more person who shows up for them. So I was just so joyful being there and then going home. I mean, just feeling like, okay, um, this is what I, where I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to do. That's awesome. And I was so joyful to be there because so many of the reasons that you've talked about, 
But also, um, I realized that, you know, context, my number one is a love of history. And so I just was so excited to be in D.C., especially, I've been there before, but didn't really get to dictate, dictate my schedule as much as I have previously. And so to be able to go there with a little more free time, and then I extended my trip beyond the conference and came back on Sunday when the conference ended on Friday. Um, and I was just so excited, and I was like, like texting you, and I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to get to D.C. And then it, I was like, in my head, this is probably what little kids think about when they go to Disney World, right? And I was like, oh my goodness, Washington, D.C. is probably contexts Disney World or Disneyland, right? I heard Disney World's better. I haven't been to either. I don't really have a desire to go either necessarily. I have a desire to go to Washington, D.C. all the time. But D.C. Disneyland's a I want to paint this picture a little bit, okay? So a couple of things. One, I like to be in control when I travel, and I like to say, and this is what we're going to do. I've looked it up. I've researched it. And I literally just sat back and thought, if Tess makes a recommendation, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I didn't really have any burning desire to go or be anywhere. Yeah. So for what I really appreciated is that we have trust mm-hmm. in, and well, um, high level awareness of one another. Mm-hmm. So you can say to me, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And I can say, I'm going to stay back and read. Um, that sounds great, but I'm going to, I'm going to hang back here. I did love that we got to, um, and I don't think I could have had a better tour guide, um, in test, but we got to view the monuments at night. And, um, that was really something that was important for me to do. But also I loved that when we were faced with the East and West side of the national gallery of art, we were able to say, I'm not going with you. I'm going here. And I went to um, the west side, which is um, contemporary, mm-hmm. and um, Tess went to the east side. classics, Renaissance, and, Impressionism. Yep. And then we met up yep. with total joy and able to talk about what we're seeing. But to paint a picture of Tess, <laughs> um, she was the jazz hands of the two of us. It's almost the polar opposite of our Jen and Millie Bitmoji. Yeah. Because oh I was kind of like just walking around with my coffee cup, whatever. I'm, what, <laughs> what do you want to do? Here in, right. You know, in the city. This is not California. Right this now. is not San Diego. <laughs> this is not um, the mountains. But Tess was in pure mode of joy every single time that you saw her. I'm like bouncing, excited <laughs> to go um, experience things. And that was wonderful to witness. I also think that it was really good for us to be able to be there with other representatives from Nebraska, from Metro Nebraska, um, and from even um, people in similar organizations nationally, because we're all kind of doing things a little bit different, Mm -hmm. and just opportunity to learn from one another. Um, That I chose some really great breakout sessions that I mean, that's a whole nother agenda, Millie, that I could talk yeah. about all those. But, <laughs> and I chose some really great breakout sessions, too. But they were based completely on our strength set. Yep. And they, our passions and our yep, our purposes. It's yep. very... Um, it's a bit scary. How predictable. Right. It is. Like, how predictable it would be the fact that when you're walking in between the east and west wing, you're like, oh, I definitely want to go over here. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, using our code term, go read a book in the east wing. <laughs> because I love contemporary art, but my first love definitely is, is classic. And I also thought it was just kind of amazing at how 
scary well we we can spot strengths Oh, yeah. With accuracy. Mm-hmm. And I've not been doing this long enough and won't ever be doing it long enough to call myself an expert. But to think about when I use my intuition and I really listen, yeah. I can spot maximizer. Mm-hmm. I can spot responsibility. I can listen for and see um, context in people who haven't even yet taken yeah. um, strengths. Definitely. That really honored to me, um, the work that we're doing and that we continue to do, because each and every time we present on it and talk with our participants, we're not ever talking at, which is something that I I very much appreciate about both of us. We're always talking with and reading what the audience is sharing with us as much as we are sharing what what we've learned and what we're doing. And each and every time, I think I just just grew in my Mm -hmm. strengths learning by simply listening which I, I believe that's what John Clifton wanted, mm-hmm. for people to really intentionally listen to the ways that people uniquely see the world. Yeah. Um, I also love that I practically high-fived the table when I spotted um, Maximizer and Whitney. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's Maximizer. I can see that. Um, she pulls up her strengths. Maximizer, you yeah. know. <laughs> yes. Um, but also, um, one of the things that I was intentional about doing is finishing Brene Brown's book during that time and it could not have been at a better time based on what we were doing why we were both there Um, a lot of the things that Tess and I are very passionate about in addition to mentoring when it comes to um, how fortunate we are to walk in privilege how fortunate we are um, to be working to be um, very inclusive Um, with our language and with what we do um, both personally and professionally. Um, So then to read um, Brene Brown's latest Dare to Lead, I wanted to read this to you and I wanted to get your feedback on this. Okay. Um, Today, with millennials making up 35% of the American labor force, the largest represented generation, teaching how to embrace failure as a learning opportunity is even more important. I've been in the university classroom for 20 years, and I've observed that the resilience and bounce of some students have decreased, while the exposure to trauma for other students has increased. On the one hand, we were and are constantly intervening, fixing, helping some kids. As the head of my son's school said, many parents have gone from helicopter parents to lawnmower parents. Instead of preparing the child for the path, we prepared the path for the child. And that's definitely not courage building. On the other hand, we raised our kids on a steady stream of systemic violence against marginalized communities, social media environment, monthly active shooter drills at school. Today, some adults are overprotected while others are grossly underprotected. So as I was reading this, I was thinking, what great timing for me to be reading this synchronicity always. To me, for me to be reading these words, but then to think about why I'm actually presenting it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then she goes on to say that millennials make up 40% of her staff, and including interns, it's 56%. They're all very different people, but as a group, I, experiencing that, I experience them as curious, hopeful, always learning, painfully attuned to the suffering in the world, and anxious mm-hmm. to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I was like, that's the test that I know. Mm-hmm. But I think the assumptions that get made yeah. about your generation mm-hmm. are unfair. Yeah. 
And also, kind of like a lot of things in our world right now, um, as you all know, I'm a big fan of Maria Shriver, and her first podcast was with Rob Lowe, and one of the things that he said was, I don't think it's as bad as everyone makes it out to be yeah. right now. I think that there are a lot of places where we're coming together. There's not so much the level of divisiveness that maybe is being projected. And so when I thought of that, and then I tied in the millennials are not all avocado toast and not settling down and don't want diamonds and don't want commitment and all those unfair assumptions. But I think about you are very attuned to suffering. You are, I would say, more aware than most and very determined to do something about it. And you don't have to. So there is nothing about that that says, I feel entitled, or I walk around with the assumption that it's put on millennials of entitlement. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. attuned, very, very strongly attuned to the suffering that's happening. So that was my big synchronicity mm-hmm. moment that happened. Um, I think it's the greatest <laughs> of millennials. Oh, that's what I've heard. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's, it's powerful, and it's, I think that there's definitely, it's easier, I think, to spot what's not right, right, about a generation, about how a generation's been parented, how a generation then turns around to parent, um, based on how they've parented, and I don't know, I just feel like there, there are some things, yes, that over time are only there because of the progress that's been made, technology, for example, but otherwise, I feel like so much of development is in cycles and patterns, if you look back historically, right, history continues to repeat itself, that there are people that over-parent, right, um, helicopter parent, lawnmower parent, so then there are, you know, people in my generation who, because of a reaction to over-parenting, are under-parenting, right, or are being very cognizant of um, even, you know, the the types of toys they give their kids because they don't want to impress certain gender roles onto them or gender identities. And so, um, you know, where that was given and assumed, right, if I'm having a baby, a girl, I'm going to paint the nursery pink versus a lot of people are going for gender neutral colors. And so even some of these conversations that I think are, are happening are just so much of it cyclical, I think. Um, but with, I don't know, with millennials specifically, I feel like I just, we just keep learning, I think, more and more, which is a great thing. And even this assessment of, um, you know, of being attuned to suffering and wanting to do something about it. It's, I've been, you know, been very specific about who I'm following on social media, like which voices I let speak into my everyday life. And I've been following um, a few, um, you know, African-American activists, and especially they're very, very active at being Black History Month and being aware of if you are in a state of privilege, how are you using your privilege, right? Like you can, use your privilege and if you choose not to do anything about injustice and you're in a state of privilege you're continuing to propagate the system right continuing to to allow it to be what it is because you're choosing not to do something about it um, one of my favorite examples that um, that my professor gave when I was down in Texas for um, my pastoral care class in January, um, part of the, the pastoral care class we did was um, a section about intercultural competency. And um, the professor, um, he now runs a counseling center, and I'm realizing we haven't um, 
been on the podcast since December, so now I'm feeling like right. back into this whole class fast, and we didn't talk about it here, so right. I feel like I'm having to give a little bit of background. But this professor, um, he now runs a counseling center, but used to be in academia full-time. So he was um, a marriage and family therapy professor, and then went on to become a dean of the department. There was one other dean at the time, and she was a female, and he, um, she had been there for about nine years, and he had just become a dean. And part of his role as the dean was um, to oversee finances and um, for the department. And so when he got the um, financial numbers, he said he was appalled. He almost fell off his chair to see how much less she was making when she had been in the role that she had been in for nine years and was dealing with much more of the difficult cases that he was having to deal with as a dean. And so what he did immediately was go to his supervisor and ask them to correct it immediately. Prior to that, he didn't realize he was in a state of privilege, right? He could have very easily assumed that they were on an even playing field or even that she made more because of the tenure she had in that post. But immediately when he was made known of the privilege, he was happy because he was a male, and albeit an African-American male, um, but he was being paid significantly more than she was. He went up to his supervisor and demanded it to be corrected because looking and noticing privilege, noticing injustice and not doing anything about it was not right. And his argument from the seminary perspective using a person James was that it actually is sinful um, to be aware of privilege and to, and to be aware of injustice and not do anything about it. And so I think that was such a powerful illustration that sometimes, um, and I wrote a little bit about this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, sometimes it's overwhelming and it overwhelms me a lot to think of the injustice that's going on in our society. And specifically what gets me fired up is um, racial, um, social, social class, um, and specifically its relation to the criminal justice system, right, is what sets my, me so angry. And you can probably even hear it right in my tone now. I'm just keeping going. But, um, but there are steps that we can take, right? We can get educated. We can learn about these things. And it isn't until you choose to take a step to become more aware of injustice that you can actually figure out how you as an individual can start to intercept the injustice, right? If you don't know what the injustices are, if you plead ignorance as bliss, well, you'll forever allow the system continue to continue as it is. And so where someone is sitting like, what do I do? I, there's this awesome mom of five at my church who does these cultural awareness days. She homeschools her five kids. Mm -hmm. And it's like tasking me books and resources because I want to know we are white privileged people, but it's our responsibility to be aware of the injustice because we can do something about it, mm -hmm. right? Because we're standing in a place of privilege. Right. So I don't know, I could keep going on and on. But no, and I think, um, you know, I've had this discussion um, recently with a number of people that until you experience any level of that, you have no idea what that feels like. You have absolutely no idea what that feels like. And I can't imagine what it would feel like to experience that day after day after yeah. day after day. Yeah. Um, and so I want, I want to interject here, and this is where I feel like our world can, you know, even you know, the Rob Lowe doesn't think so. Um, how, why it has become so divisive is because people that are fighting for injustice, I think there's a tendency to say, right, to a person that might not be as aware of things that divide us or the privilege that is at place, right, they might look at that person and say, 
that's a horrible thing. Why are you in that place? Why are you saying what you're saying? Why are you wearing what you're wearing? Um, but in reality, what we need to do is extend grace, right? Mm-hmm. To say they probably don't even realize it. They've never been in a place right. where they've been lacking privilege, where they've been in the minority, right? Racially, from a gender or sexual perspective, mm-hmm. like whatever it is, right? And so we need to, I think, be less judgmental of, okay, if you're wearing this type of slogan on your t-shirt, I automatically assume that you believe this and therefore you hate fill in the blank, right? Pick the demographic category you want to pick. Um, And so I think we have to be aware that it's probably most of the time, right? Back to Renee Brown, one of the first things I've ever learned from her is what if they're doing the best that they can? Mm -hmm. What if they've never been exposed to a place where they haven't been in privilege or in the majority? You are going to love this book. Um, So this is one of her quotes that I wrote down. It's only when diverse perspectives are included, respected and valued that we can start to get a full picture of the world, who we serve, what they need, and how to successfully meet people where they are. Yes. So when I think about my role, that, that so resonated with me because it's my job to think about 18,000 diverse humans who are getting together one time a week and showing up for one another. And what do they need to do that in an even better way so that people feel truly seen and truly hurt. And then I love that she said, I'm committed to tackling problems that threaten our mission, vision, and values. I challenge others to call out the culture killers. We celebrate what works and we change things that don't add value. So if something isn't working and you know it isn't working or you know it's damaging, it's our responsibility to have the courage to step up. And she calls it rumblings. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, On the flight home, I sat next to an absolutely beautiful individual. Her name is Margaret. And she was sharing with me some of her story. And when we um, got off the plane and um, waiting on my bags and my husband came to pick me up, he always waits for me. Like, so I see him when I get off the plane, mm-hmm. um, which I love very much. So sweet. And Margaret's heading out because she didn't have any check bags like Allison does everywhere. No check bags. Um, <laughs> I, I stopped her and I hugged her. And I said, thank you for sharing with me. Mm-hmm. Because she was sharing about the challenges that she's experienced. And I thought, wow, I just get to be here with you in this you know, couple of hours flight and I get to witness and be part of you telling your story and I want you to feel seen and heard. But at times I would say to her, tell me about that because I don't know. Yeah. Tell me what that is like because I don't know. Um, help me understand because I, I've never experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think people are afraid to ask that question. Right. Because it, it makes us look less than, or it makes us look like we're lacking knowledge, or it may, maybe even makes us look like we're coming from a place of ill intent. Yes. When we say, I don't understand, tell me about that. Yep. And I think that hits the nail on the head, right? We are coming out of decades of to speak about difference is to automatically place value on that difference, right? Is to say, if I want to ask you about your experience coming from a different racial ethnic background, coming from a different gender perspective background, coming from a different socioeconomic background, that means that I'm thinking I'm better than you are. When in reality, it isn't, right? It doesn't make sense to be colorblind or gender blind or whatever kind of 
kind of blind you want to be because the difference is there. And it's up to us to acknowledge that, right? And how are we going to get over any value system we've placed on difference if we don't have conversations with people who are different, right? Who've walked through that difference. And what I love is um, a a phrase recently came from a a training that we went through as a staff. um, And also this class that I went through is that um, diversity is difference that makes a difference. And I love that, right? Mm -hmm. That um, really everyone has a place of diversity and a place of difference. And I love that we got to speak about that in BC from a generational difference perspective. I love that that's what we get to do here. We get to speak about it from a talent and strength place of diversity, right? We have very different strengths and it makes a big difference um, in terms of how we relate to each other, how we relate to the world around us. But then also the fact that I think we're being very intentional about opening the conversation um, to have those discussions of difference within our organization, within the mentoring field. I've seen massive shifts within what's being researched. All of last fall, I just went through all the research that was published. It was on um, uh, racial ethnic um, differences within mentoring, gender differences and perspectives within mentoring, um, and social class difference within mentoring, were three of the massive publications in the fall from three completely different researchers. So we see it's just an opening of the conversation to even have about difference, which is powerful. So for those that are listening, I think this, this comes natural to us. Like, we love conversations yeah we love being able to share about appreciating difference Mm -hmm. but for those who maybe don't what can what can we say to inspire them or encourage them to step out of that um comfort zone I sometimes think about it as the comfort zone of the limited knowledge that I have. Because if I stay in my zone with what I think I know and what I've heard from fill-in-the-blank resource, Mm -hmm. I can stay very safe. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So when I think about those that are listening that might be willing to listen to a podcast but might not be as apt to sit next to someone on the plane and say, tell me, tell me you, I want to hear about who you are as you are, and I value your story. Um, What are some small steps, do you think? Mm -hmm. So I want to add one thing as well. Sometimes there are people that don't want to enter or feel um, uncomfortable entering in those conversations, but I think there might be people listening that also do not have access to diversity like they think diversity is, right? Because um, we have a lot of small towns and I'm represented within teammates and small towns, especially small rural towns are fairly homogenous in terms of um, racial ethnic makeup. Um, But again, I think this podcast and the work that we've been doing really helps us to break out what diversity looks like. And even one of the girls in in my grad school class, my care class um, said, Gosh, before this, I never, and we had to do this little assessment about our intercultural competency that we were kind of rated on how culturally aware and competent we were. And she said, I answered all of it based on racial, based on race, purely, because that's what I thought diversity was. And so to be able to understand that that's a crucial element and um, historically and culturally being from the United States of America and being in that, it's the one that has been the most prominent. Um, it's the one that has led to the most brokenness and the most issues that have plagued our society. But there's so much more diversity there, right? And so I would first encourage people to expand their understanding of what diversity is. That um, you can think of, I think the one that everyone is going to encounter regardless of where they're at is socioeconomic diversity is, or social class diversity 
diversity is you're going to encounter people who um, have more or less education than you you do make more or less money than you do right and there's a very different um, perspective through which people view the world if they have a different social ordering right um, if you know we have this awesome training in the poverty mindset when I went through that with Project Harmony and there's this awesome toolkit on the mentor resource library about it when I got to go through that training and understanding because I would place value when I would see people and even like my mentee's parents who would um, have her go get a manicure and go get her hair done but sometimes don't have enough to put in her lunch account. Mm -hmm. But knowing that the poverty mindset is so different where you're grappling for money and any bit of money you don't know where the next bit of it is going to come from. So you want to spend it in a way that brings joy to you, brings value to you. So understanding that difference, the fact that number one, it is a difference, but then also number two, how that how people of a different place than me, right, respond differently to factors, right, that I previously would have placed value on, saying you're not using your money wisely or what are you doing to impact this child, you know, setting up, setting them up for success, but understanding and being open to the fact that they're coming from a very, very different paradigm of approaching life than I am. And I'm trying really hard to stretch myself to hear opinions that are different from mine. So when I think about how I am stepping out of my comfort zone when it comes to having conversations about diversity, it's hearing opinions that I may not like or agree with. So one of the things that I, I th I've thought about this a lot since D.C., on that plane ride home, what would I have done, how would I have been if Margaret sitting next to me was of different beliefs than I have. If she was describing her life, which her life is incredible, um, but if she was describing it in a way that said, absolutely not, I'm against this, or I'm, you know, I don't believe in fill in the blank, and it was completely different than the way I see the world, would I have heard her the same? Would my heart have opened the way that it did when I was listening to someone who is like-minded? Yeah. And I am really trying hard to have conversations and to listen when someone says, no, I don't agree with that or whatever, fill in the blank. And I, and I don't think it's necessary for me to fill in the blank, but I think everybody has moments of that. It's the Thanksgiving dinner when your uncle has completely polar, um, different uh, political beliefs than you do. Mm -hmm. And it comes up and instead of us being able to have a conversation about it, somebody gets mad and walks away, right, and, and you shut down the conversation absolutely. right there, right there. It's I think that's a great first step for people that want to enter into this, right, is to somehow enter into conversation, whether or not it's via media, via um, television, via um, a podcast, or someone that you know that has a different perspective, uh, politically, socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, um, whatever that different perspective is, and not shut down the conversation, mm -hmm. right? Be aware of what kind of views are influencing your views, right? right? Who are you letting speak into your life? Um, so if you only listen to one news program, find one that is influenced by a very, very different political view, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard not to want to be, oh my gosh, I cannot believe they're saying that. I don't agree with that and switch back to the preferred program, right, that you have. Right. But instead, I would challenge listeners, right, to keep listening. And to say, I wonder what perspective they're approaching life from. If they listen to this and they get excited 
with the same amount of anger and frustration I have. Mm-hmm. Right? Because in my my heart, I believe that there is a reason that we come to the table with our thoughts and assumptions about things. Yep. It's either a life experience or something that we've been taught and we just haven't learned anything otherwise. So when this has happened for me, I've tried to honor hearing the person. Even if I'm thinking in my head, you've got to be kidding me. Um, This is, this is discriminatory or fill in the blank. But I am trying to allow that person to feel heard because I believe truly at the end of the day, that's what every human is coming to the table with. I want you to hear me Mm -hmm. and I want you to hear my why. And I want you to hear where I am right now. Yeah. And I'm trying really hard because I've noticed when I look around on my social media feed or the people I love to spend time with, a lot of them think like I do. Yeah. But what I think one of the great things about, um, I don't want to say being forced into a blended family. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a blended family, but also having a blended family, that has been probably one of the biggest learning lessons for me. Yeah. Is when parenting, and I think this, you know, this is how it goes. This is it. This is how you do it. This is the way that it works. Yeah. And you fall in love with and marry and start a life with someone who also has children. Mm-hmm. And he parents his children absolutely polar opposite mm-hmm. from you. And I have often shut down and said, nope, nope, that's not how it works. And that's exactly the wrong, the the approach that I am saying, please don't do. Yeah, right? Because what happens is isolation and divisiveness is a result. Bitterness is a result. Resentment. Resentment is a result. Yes. And that's never good. That's never going to help us cross cultural barriers, right? Right. Or build bridges with people. But I think um, it's really interesting that um, for us, we can have, we have, and we have a very um, diverse family when it comes to socioeconomic, when it even comes to race, um, in a lot of factors. But when it comes to beliefs (laughs) and values, there's no way that, and and I should know that, there's no way we're going to be on the same page. Yet I stand in defiance at times Mm -hmm. because it's not the same as what I think it should be. Mm -hmm. And that has been an incredibly sent from the universe lesson (laughs) that I need to continue to learn and practice because I can sit here and preach, hey, everybody, open your minds, open your hearts, come on, have conversations that are difficult, read Brene and all of these things, yet in the simplest of ways, I don't always practice this. I also witness every once in a while, you and I know each other really well, Mm -hmm. and we can tell when one of us is bothered by or irritated (laughs) by personality. It is so sure. easy. I can spot it a thousand miles away, and you can with me too. And sometimes it's very similar. Mm-hmm. And I will immediately go into judgment, mm-hmm. which I would stand here and say, I really don't believe in that. But mm-hmm. by nature, I do it. Yeah. And I go right to <clears throat> all kinds of assumptions about that person mm-hmm. about, well, you know, why do you think this way? And why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, this isn't, Yeah. this is not what I believe to be 
the right approach. So I want for all of our listeners, especially those that are close to me, to know that I in no way, shape or form have all the answers. None of our mentors do. None of our central office staff does. None, no parent does. Mm -hmm. No one has all the answers, nor are they perfect. It is an ever evolving opportunity for growth. But stepping up into it versus shutting down. Yes. Right. There's a whole, um, this whole ideology, definitely pervasive in kind of the charismatic Christian world. It's about leaning in versus stepping back. Right. It's choosing to, instead of disengage or the posture of disengagement of leaning back or crossing your arms, it's choosing to lean in and say in the midst of struggle or in the midst midst of being uncomfortable or whatever that is, choosing to, to not disengage. And it sometimes is the biggest fight right to do that because all of our emotions and even our body physically reacts to wanting to get out right get out of the situation that uncle that is just impressing his views on me that i do not agree with or things that are made or generalizations and stereotypes about groups like all i want to do is is just like tap out because i don't want to offend right but if you never enter into the conversation how can you ever build a relationship how can you ever build bridges? How can you ever come to a place of reconciliation, right? Or come to a place of being able to be an advocate for someone else. Um, and, and so that's yeah. all the power of vulnerability. Yeah. I loved uh, my brother um, on uh, last Friday when I got back from DC, I went right from the airport um, to witness my brother being uh, promoted to senior master sergeant at um, Offutt um, Air Force. And so the ceremony was fantastic. and. They spoke a lot about Ben, and then Ben got up and spoke. Mm. And one of the things I loved about what he said was that he is intimidated to do the job. Mm. He did not stand up there and say, I have earned this. I got here because (laughs) of, you know, Mm. my level of determination and leadership, which is clear. But he said to, and it was a packed house of other people, other people who are serving in the Air Force, a lot of them younger. And he said, if you're not scared and intimidated, then you need to step into another step further. I mean, you need to get comfortable in not knowing. And I loved that he spoke to that. He also spoke volumes about being his kid's dad Mm -hmm. with Julian and Caleb in the audience hearing him give thanks and appreciation for their role in letting their dad be who he is to so many people. It was just, Mm. it was an awesome um, experience. But I love that here's a, you know, and and again, back to Brene, full circle. Brene has a chapter in the book where she's worked with military officers around vulnerability and around shame and around what it means to step into courage and what it means to step into those moments of truly being brave. Um, I love that Ben was willing to stand up and say, in that role, in that moment, I am not sure what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and I'm a little bit scared about it, but I'm going to lean in and I'm going to, and I'm going to embrace this. So, um, 
It was kind of an awesome week we had. That was an awesome week. And I think we will um, wrap there for the purposes of this episode. So what we want to do is, um, trust me here, Allie, she's like looking at the time here. Um, <laughs> well, so we talk I a lot. want to, we do, we do a great job. Um, and totally like we were, we sat down and we're like, what are we talking about today? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it just got us right. 40 minutes later, um, we were working to correct all the injustices in the world. Um, <laughs> so I want to encourage you first that Bernie Brown, um, a book that Ali mentioned is called Dare to Lead. I don't know if we explicitly said that um, on here. That's her new book that came out. Anything by her is fabulous. Um, but from my understanding, I haven't read this yet. It's a little more practical tips, right? It's great. Um, and so great, great book uh, to tap into. We'll make sure we add it on our worth mentioning board for Pinterest. Mm-hmm. And then we also just want to encourage you. I want to first encourage you to be aware of diversity, right? An awareness of the diversity is the first step, right? So, so go throughout your day the next 20 24 hours, the next 48 hours, the next couple days, and be hyper aware of the people you interact with and what different perspective they might be coming from, right? If you interact with people of racial and ethnic, a difference you can see very clearly, right, based on our constructs of race and ethnicity. Um, or maybe people are driving a much older car and have older clothes, might be coming from a different socioeconomic background than you are, um, maybe a different educational background. So first, just um, spend time almost cataloging the difference in your life. And then we want to encourage you to lean in to difference, whatever that looks like. Lean into the diversity that you have. Um, we want to encourage you to um, take an audit of your of the voices that are speaking into your life about diversity, right? And to expand those. We talked about tapping into different news outlets, following different people on social media, just to have a more well-rounded um well-rounded experience with diversity, discussion of diversity, right? We can curate our lives to whatever ideologies we want them to align with, right? We can curate what information we take in now um, because we have so many opportunities around us for that. So we want to encourage you to expand those differences of diversity and then see what are some steps you can take, right? What are some conversations you can enter into? Um, what are some ways that you can yeah, really choose to lean in instead of stepping back in the midst of difference and diversity? Not one of us singly is going to change the world, right? But we can change the world around us um, by how we approach those that are different than us, how we speak of them, how we interact with them, how we choose to honor them even when they aren't there. And I think one of the things that a big takeaway for me from Brene's Dare to Lead is when you think about what voices count, what opinions are you going to let about you? Yeah. Are you going to let stick? I'm grateful that we have listeners to allow our, our voices to yeah. be part of their day, yeah. part of their world, part of their experience, that they're willing to hear us in all of our imperfections and yeah. all of our um, not planned stammering <laughs> at times, um, yep. that they're willing to allow our voices um, to, to speak to them. So yeah. we look forward to hearing that feedback. Awesome. Yes. So we just want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode number 33 of Jen and Millie. So we're new to podcasting, new in this format. So please share 
um, share this with anyone you want. We'll be, I believe, sending in a follow-up email now, like we used to at the video format of Jen and Millie. So rate, review us, share with your friends, um, get the word out. We love to expand these conversations, not necessarily to get Jen and Millie out, but right to get people thinking about the topics that we talk about here, topics that we're passionate about, and we hope we'll bring and add value to the world. Um, to interact with us and to share um, any responses you have to some of the challenges we posed in this episode, go ahead and um, follow us on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. Until next time.